Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello and welcome to another episode of Human Ordinary, documentaries about our culture, relationships, and all those things that make us human. We're past the halfway point of the season, and I just wanted to thank you all for listening, and to especially thank those who have supported the show through Possible. And there's still time to get access to ad-free episodes and exclusive merchandise, all for the low, low cost of a can of Coke and a Mars bar each month. Just head to Possible.com and search for the show. So, this one time, many moons ago, I was on a family trip to America. It's a bloody long flight, and as I've spoken about previously, planes aren't a comfortable place for me to be. So after an awful and broken few hours sleep, I woke up and felt quite twitchy. I got up to stretch my legs and began to get incredibly anxious, and I soon realised that the reason was that every window blind on the plane was pulled down. I could see the thinnest crack of light at the base of the blinds, and knew that if any of those were raised, the cabin would be instantly filled with light. I felt like I was trapped in a metal bird way up in the air. Well, I guess I was trapped in a metal bird way up in the air, but I knew that if I could see outside, if the sunlight could light things up, then I would at least feel a little better. I paced back and forth and I blathered to my unmoved dad and cursed those in control for not letting the light in. And eventually, through no effort of my own, columns of sunlight shone inside as one by one the windows were raised and we all peered outside into the world below. It's often said that the eyes are the windows to the soul, and so, by extension, actual windows are the windows to the world. As we go about our work, or catch a train to see friends, or take a drive into the hills, having a window to look out of can keep us connected to the outside. It can distract and remind us that there's something bigger out there. Today on Human Ordinary, We meet two people who help others see that bigger something. And it all starts on the roof of one of the tallest buildings in Melbourne, 55 storeys above the street. My God. It's beautiful, eh? So do you know where you're looking at? Absolutely incredible. So you want to know where you live? I've come up here with Michael, whose company is tasked with washing the windows on the outside of many of the city's skyscrapers. That's the Oaks. I'll do that one. Yeah. I do the oaks down here, the one with, where the two cranes are behind it. Yeah. I've known Mick for years. We went to school together over two decades ago. We haven't seen each other much since school, but he's just like I remember him. That's the Beyonce building? Because That's what they call it, because it's got curves. Yeah. That's going to be a monster. Mick is friendly and generous with his time. He's also the type of guy who can talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles. He motors through ideas as soon as they can occur to him. It's a foyer of a hotel. Have you seen the QT Hotel? Beautiful hotel. 700 bucks a night if you want to stay there. That's unedited. And he often says things that would make a sailor blush. (laughs) Things I promised I wouldn't include here. Because I can be a bit loose with stuff, you know? I'm a bit bit more street. (laughs) 
He'll announce random and irreverent thoughts. Do you like urinal cake? I fucking love the smell of them. Just as quickly as he'll offer up a factoid or a piece of advice. What if I was invented in Australia, you know that? So when you hear about Legionnaires outbreaks in the city, they're coming from these things. So he's a bikey. Yeah, Melbourne was one of the richest cities in the world, especially by the turn of the last century. Mm. He's not wrong, though. I looked some of that stuff up. Once upon a time, the business belonged to Michael's father. He built it from the ground up, beginning with just one client and working long hours until he had created a successful enterprise. Michael has been working the job since he was a teenager. Oh, tell me about, can you remember your first time when you, when you did this? Nah, not really. Like, not at all. I don't, I don't remember. I've done so many days here. So many days. I've worked every hour of the night, every day of the week. When this site was going for a uh, fucking renovation, we weren't allowed to work above the building site. So I had to work from like 9pm to 6am through the night. Even just doing like one floor, like level 11. So you start on, I was on the North Tower, so you start on 38, go all the way down for half an hour, do three windows, all the way back up half an hour, and you go back down. So we were like three or four nights just doing that. Money was insane, it was like 480 bucks an hour. So back to where I started, I can't remember, to be honest. Like, it's been so ingrained in my life that like, you know. You've probably seen someone in Michael's trade. If not in real life, then definitely in the movies. From the Matrix to Paddington, dangling over the side of a building is naturally fascinating and filled with dramatic tension. Hey, guys. G'day, g'day. Have you met Sammy Ball? On the day I'm hanging out with Michael, I meet two of his employees. One, Lucas, an old friend, and the other, Michael's brother, Paul. I watch as Paul and Lucas climb into a bucket about three foot by ten foot. When they're standing in it, the top reaches just above their waist. They attach themselves by carabiner, and there's an intercom they can use in case of emergencies. It gives you a holler so you can call the control room okay. and see what's going down. Very bad. I don't even know if it works. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> when they're ready, the bucket will head down one panel of windows to the bottom, stopping and starting so the cleaning can be done. Then they'll head back up, move the bucket over to the next panel, and repeat the process. The whole job takes two months to complete. And then they pretty much start it all over again. I glance in the bucket and notice they're using run-of-the-mill dishwashing liquid. So it's a morning fresh original. That's kind of, I kind of find that funny. It's like there's so much effort that you go to and then it's, it's, yeah. it's just that. But if we had a big tub up here with a, a towel window clean bottle, yeah. no one know any different. Yeah. Marketing. Attached to a big crane arm, the bucket swings out in a big arc hanging 15 metres from the edge of the building, 250 metres above the street. It then completes the arc until the guys are back against the building and they're ready to roll. They're pretty much living out one of my nightmares. It's a very liberating, liberating experience. And it looks liberating. We have a couple of milk crates. So a lot of the time the driver just sits down. They're probably standing up just because we've got a guest today. They sit down. The old days it was shit when you get breakdown because I've been broken down for like eight hours inside this building before. What happened? What happened when it broke down? Oh, we had no phone. <laughs> so we had to sit there and just fucking talk. Nowadays you have phones and stuff, so at least you can play games and wait. Because all you can do is wait. So when did this happen? Nah, I've broken down this hundreds of times. But that was like one when it was eight hours. There's a lot of lost time in this place though. Yeah. Well, that conversation probably cost me over a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Mick says it's crucial you get along with the other person you're working with. Besides the dangerous temptations that would no doubt arise from clinging to the side of a building with someone who grinds your gears, if you can't have an entertaining conversation with your co-worker, then the hours can truly drag. 
As the bucket descends, Paul raises his hand, giving us a disappearing thumbs up, just like the end of Terminator 2. Three kilometres away and back on the ground, I meet Ben, a different sort of window washer. He doesn't own a company or even work for one. He's just trying to make whatever money he can. Yeah, sometimes it's flat out and like I get a lot of people asking, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, singing out for you, but other times it just goes a bit dead and everyone just, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, it's up, really up and down actually, you know. At a busy intersection just on the city fringe, Ben walks up and down the lanes of cars stopped at the traffic lights, offering up windscreen cleans for anyone willing to part with their loose change. Um, the, the ones that, yeah, the ones that do want their window washed, they will. They'll directly look at you and they'll, you know, they're happy and, yeah, they'll... You know, the, the ones that don't wash it, they see the, the squeegee from a mile away and I have some people in their cars that'll actually turn away and pretend like they're looking through their cars as I walk past and I'll stop and wait for them to, to turn around and look at me. Just I know they're going to say no, but I, <laughs> I don't know. Something in me just wants them to man up and just go, if you don't want it, just, just say no, you know. Like, <laughs> ben is friendly and has a cheeky, toothless smile that he flashes to motorists. It seems to work. Most times I watch him weave between the lanes with his squidgy aloft, he gets at least one customer. Each windscreen wash takes him about 15 seconds to complete. He carries a water bottle filled with soapy water that he squirts onto the window. I generally do reasonably well, just... Yeah, you know. Why, why do you think that is? Um, because I do it for long term, not short term. Like, the way I like wash, yeah, like... You know, I think about tomorrow more. So, I am really good to the drivers and all that shit, you know, because I know that tomorrow's another day. Sometimes, he'll wash a windscreen despite the driver telling him no. Most of the time, he gets paid anyway. Uh, you know, if, if they don't want to pay, it doesn't matter really, you know, but <laughs> a lot of the times they, they do feel obligated, I suppose. So, yeah. So that, that's, I mean, because I heard when you sort of went up there, oh, I'll give you a free one, but I mean, really in the back of your mind, you sort of... Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course, just trying to sell it, you know. And then, of course, you know, you try to do a good job and hopefully they're happy with it and they, they, they want to pay you, more to the point. You know, you'd rather them want to rather than feel obligated to, you know. So, yeah. I reckon there's a lot of, like, mind psychology involved in it, you know. Like, you really start to understand the way people think, you know, when you're doing it, you know, because obviously... Indirectly, I will target people, certain people, sure. and not in a mean way or anything like that. But just, I can just tell, like by looking at the person whether he wants his window washed or not. Like it's not he doesn't want his window washed. I know he doesn't. You know, like yeah. it. Do, it doesn't. Yeah. Whereas you know, it's, it's generally a lot of ladies that are sort of you know all, all excited about getting their windows done, and you know, most men do it more as a yeah, mate. I'll help you out. And then, yeah, the ones in between are just, 
generally don't like it. Yeah. And it seems like this is a good spot to do it because of the way that the lights are. Like, it's yeah. there's always cars here, it seems. Like yeah, stuff. and the other side's the same, the other yeah. corner. Uh, Dan just left. There's another one over there before, Dan. Yeah. Um, he's the opposite. He'll try and intimidate the drivers into... He'll come up and watch your window and he'll start... It's like he's having a boxing match with the window. Like, he's rubbing it so fucking hard and so fast. And, you know, and the person in the car is sitting back going, oh, you know, is he on fucking coke or ice or something? Yeah. Like, he do it, you know? If he thinks he can intimidate you into, like, doing it without you beeping your horn and going, yeah, he'll do it. It's for this reason, as well as the safety of people like Ben, that window washing at intersections isn't strictly legal. According to Rule 236, Subrule 4E of the Victorian Road Safety Road Rules, a pedestrian must not stand on or move onto a road to wash or clean the windscreen of a vehicle. Anytime a police car pulled up at the lights or moved through the intersection, the cops would give Ben a little reminder of this. Like, you can be busy, obviously, um, you know, your peak hours, 8.30 in the morning and 6 at night, but, you know, 8.30 runs late for work, Six o'clock, everyone just wants to get home. They don't want to deal with me. So that's why, yeah, that 10.30 till 3.30 is always the best time to make money. And and then even, um, like, late nights, you know, you'll get the same thing. Anyone that, People just having a, having a laugh, you know, feeling charitable and just, you know, yeah, yeah, come watch me window, you know. Yeah, okay. so that, and that's why there's so much psychology to it because it really plays on everybody's, yeah, like... Ben is homeless and is staying at a refuge in the city. He tells me that they make everyone get up at the crack of dawn and that one of their rules is you're not allowed to sit around. Like, literally. If they see you sitting down, they tell you to get on your feet and go do something. For Ben, washing windows is his something and it's his only source of income. It's a bit of a step down from his previous employment as a concreter Although the money he earns is still pretty good. Ideally, I'm over there, yeah. It is it is better money, generally. Okay. But here, tends to get a lot of charity because they come through Vic Street here, you've got all the drugs and shit down there, mm. and they sell the homeless, the drugs and the crap, and then they see someone, I think, actually doing something half positive, and I think they feel, you know, more inclined to, you know, to help. Yeah, for sure. Um, this morning, I washed a lady's car over here, and she gave me a $20 note. I said, are you sure? Last night, I did a car, she gave me a $50 note. Really? Yeah. And I, yeah, I stopped, and I said, sure? Like, look look at what you're giving me, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if she was mistaken for a $5 note or something, or... Because, yeah, I said to her, you know, like, oh, you can't, you know? And she said, oh, of course. What do you mean, of course? She's driving a... Uh, like a uh, Tarago, you know, one of those spaceship sort of, yeah, yeah. one of those. Yeah. It wasn't a wealthy person, it wasn't a wealthy car. And you're giving away $50 notes at the lights, I mean. How do, you know. that, I mean, how does that make you feel when sort of something like that happens? Charity? <laughs> oh, it can't be for washing the window. Is there a part of you that sort of maybe like resents that like I mean you say it's like charity yeah. that you're sort of like you yeah know, of course yeah like um, I get uh, a lot of people go oh I don't want my window done but here's a dollar and that yeah I resent that because 
if I wanted to beg for money, I'd go stand at the corner and beg for money, you know, mm. which that's the whole idea of me window washing. So at least I can give some kind of, you know, something back, you know. So when they do that, it's kind of a kick in the face, you know, like, because they do it to make themselves feel good about themselves. No, don't wash my window, here's a dollar, you know. Mm. I admire Ben's work ethic, which is something I don't think I've ever really had. In this way, he's quite similar to Mick the skyscraper window washer, who also believes in concepts like no money for nothing and an honest pay for a hard day's work. After the break, Sam's adventures through the window glass continue. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode of Human Ordinary is sponsored by Movement. So one of the perks of having the 28,305th most listened to podcast is that you get awesome sponsors who sometimes send you things. This one time, the good folk at Movement sent a care package over with what I thought were a pair of plain lens glasses. Now, not being much of a hipster, I thought I'd use the frames and get some sunglass lenses instead. So I went on their website to check out availability, and that's when I discovered that the glasses I had in my hot little hand were actually Movement's Everscroll blue light filtering glasses. They're built to protect your eyes from the blue light that screens give off. That's known to cause eye strain, discomfort, and poor sleeping patterns. So I started wearing them when I'm working, and honestly, they actually work. My eyes feel less tired after an editing session, and I'm able to keep my focus more when I'm tapping out scripts. I reckon they help me to fall asleep faster, and I'm in a better mood because of them. Plus, they look like regular glasses, no yellow tint, so I look at least 10% smarter, which is still not that smart. With the average person spending almost seven hours a day in front of a screen, I'd recommend Movements Ever Scroll to anyone. They start from just 65 American dollar bucks, and you can select from a wide range of frames and styles. Listeners to the show can get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns just by going to mvmt.com forward slash human. Protect your eyes and look great doing it. That's mvmt.com forward slash human. Join the movement. Back in the city, and I walk with Michael up to his office in a flashy building at the top end of Collins Street. I'll give you another hot tip in business. Hot when, tip. You go, when you go meet someone, yeah. research them as much as you can before you go. Yeah. When I called Mick to set up the interview, he answered the phone with a big cheery greeting, the kind that makes you feel pretty special. But walking with Michael through the city, I realise he's like that with everyone. We pass about four people that he knows, and each is met with a big cheery greeting. That would have made them feel pretty special. 
Michael is friendly in a way that reminds me a little of a politician, although I suspect he wouldn't be too fond of that comparison. Everyone says you can't make points of business. And maybe that works to a degree in some things, but at the end of the day, everyone wants to help everyone. Like, oh, well, if you need help and I can help you in some way or any advice, why would I not? I have no reason not to want you to succeed. That makes you feel good. Yeah. And that also proves that my thoughts are correct. You know what I mean? They're like, if I have thoughts about how to do something and I tell you and you do it and you're successful, well, that proves I'm fucking right. But then yeah. where does the core business come down from? Like, it has to be learned from something, you know what I mean? Like I said, there is people who have, like, you know, the fucking MBAs and all that yeah, stuff, yeah. and they probably have strategies the way they do stuff, yeah. but I was like doing things my way. When you were growing up, was this always just a thing in the back of your mind? It's like, oh, this is what I'll do. This is what I'll nah. What, what else did you want to do? I was young. A lot of young people have like aspirations or when I grow up I'm going to be... Yeah, nah, I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I sort of lived in the moment a bit when I was young. Enjoyed being young, which I'm glad I did. Like, I always thought that when you turn to an adult, you turned into an adult. I didn't realise... Like, it's as bizarre as it sounds. I thought there was something just clicked and then you lived an adult life. Didn't realise you was the same person who maybe matures up a bit in areas from, you know, experiences or whatever. But basically the same person, you just fucking saw her. <laughs> You're more tired. That's really it. So when I sort of left school, and then my old man's like, you can't just hang around doing nothing, come to work with me. I just sort of went into responsibility mode. You know, like the family was, that's the only way we had income. That's the only thing I ever knew, how people make money. I didn't understand jobs or anything, because that's all I saw. So I just sort of took on the responsibility hat, and then... And I didn't know anything else, so I always had to take it on. After Mick took the business over from his dad, he worked hard to keep existing clients happy and always sought filler jobs, smaller jobs to keep him and his staff busy. This also meant getting an office in a high-rise and employing Shane, a full-time business development manager, to help expand the business. Did you, like, go and study business or anything? Or? Nah, man. Yeah. I didn't study shit. I didn't even study at school. <laughs> it's not that hard, really. I mean, I'm sure there's some techniques that people do which maybe I could learn. At the end of the day, it's just experience you learn. Like, I made plenty of mistakes when I first took over. And to be honest... As we get to the office, Shane is busy handling compliance matters. What's going on? Just a quick one. That tick sheet that I gave you... The office space is sparse. There's a whiteboard and some filing cabinets, but mostly it feels as if they just needed a place to meet clients and hang out in when they're not hanging from the side of a skyscraper. In fact, if it wasn't in an office building and you chucked a TV on the wall, it would make a pretty good man cave. On Mick's desk is a statue of Ganesh, a marble ashtray, and a bar of silver bullion. Yeah, it's pretty cool, eh? I bought it for about 800 bucks of a guy who was working for me. In the corner, three guitar cases rest on the floor. So it's remade to the specs of the 57 gold top. Then be very careful, it's got a good retail value on it. Mick's hard work and friendly nature have made his window cleaning business a successful one. Although talking with him, I sometimes got the feeling that he wasn't entirely sure what all of it was for. At times he seems fixated on money and wealth, quoting the price of his possessions and assets, while at other times it was as if his pursuit was something more noble. You know, I look at my life and think, you know, I'm still battling on whatever, but I look at Lucas and every dollar he's earned in the last 30 years, 15 years has come through what we've tried to generate. Mm. You know, now he's, got, he's building a house and his bathroom done and he's got, he's got a wife and a kid. and yeah. you know, That's all stemmed down from something we're trying to do, yeah. which is kind of rewarding. Mm. Yeah, I, mean, I can pretty much, I'm not saying I earn a lot of money, but I'm just saying I can go and buy anything I want. I'm a real hard person to buy for birthdays because I don't have anything you need. Sure. You know, most people's budget, they can't buy me because I've got everything. 
So you look for other things that make you happy. Back at the intersection, Ben is going through his backpack, counting his earnings from the last hour and a bit. The day has been pretty overcast, which isn't usually the best for making money. But he's done all right. So 50 bucks in an hour? Yeah. On a day like this, I'm not far off stopping anyway. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm just about to stop. And okay. I'm going to go walk down Collingwood there. You're welcome to come with me. Um, yeah. What will you do down there? What's in the car? I'll go and get on, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He means he's going to do heroin. Yeah, yeah. I asked him how long he had been using um, 16 years, yeah, which is definitely part of the reason I'm out here, the main reason, yeah. Apologies for the sound in this part, you can't really hear me, but I'm asking Ben whether all his money goes to buying drugs. Oh, a lot of it, yeah, like 80, 85, 90% go to that. And the other 15 just feeding myself, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, well, I mean, that sounds like a lot of money then, like what, 80% of everything yeah, you Yeah, yeah, you're today. talking a couple hundred a day. Easily. So I probably do four or five sessions a day yeah. of washing. Um, and yeah. You go down pick up yeah four or five times a day yeah usually i wash up maybe sixty dollars yeah and i'll spend 50 on that and the other 10 i'll spend on food right i mean yeah come back and do it again and yeah ben is heading to score and i offer to drive him i've enjoyed my time with him and i'm eager to learn more about his life as we walk to the car the interview vibe is dropped a bit and we start chatting like mates we learn that we're both dads, although he doesn't get to see his two boys all that much. And what did you say your kids, they're both, what did you say? Yeah, six, 16 and my youngest is 13. Yeah, right. Must be a trip having fucking teenagers. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. Especially like, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. It was a trip having them when I was young, but to watch them mould into little versions of yourself almost, like... Yeah. Pretty soon, the conversation turns back to his heroin use. It's, it's not the... Like, I, the drug itself, I love it. It's great. Like, it's such a relaxing and beautiful drug, but um, what it does to, you know, your life and the money and all that, no, it's horrible. Mm. Yeah, obviously. Um, yeah, we're I could have so much more. Like, whether it's... Even when I was concreting, I was on three fifty a day, $400 a day. And same thing, I was spending most of that every day on on the gear too. It was no different. Yeah, because it started off just all social, you know, just all it again, you know, just the enjoyment of, mm. you know, it's very similar to weed, you know, in that sense, you know. You know, relaxation. It's... So where do you go? Do you go and buy it from here and then you go back home or do you sort of... Oh, I can well. go anywhere. Um, yeah, but yeah, like generally, depending on how I'm feeling. But yeah, generally, um, 
like buy it and yeah. I oh, look, you know, anywhere that's you know hidden, I can use it. Right. You know, I, I won't use in the streets, like you know. I'd like to go into a public toilet or something, or you know. Sure. Only for the risk of yeah, like I'd, I'd hate for other people to walk, you know, walk in on me or something. Or, you know. Yep. Because you know, they don't need to see that. It's a bit of shock for some people mm. to see somebody shooting up with a needle. And even um, see, like um, with the, the gear, the heroin. I mm. I did stop for a bit when um, when we had the kids. I stopped um, for my missus, mm. and then I, I went a good year or year and a half without it. And um, then bumped into an old friend that used to actually he used to sell it, and I thought to myself that yeah, I could just uh, social, you know, I could do it, you know, just buy a bit and and yeah, sit on it, sort of. And yeah, for the first shit, the first six months I was, I was buying fifty dollars worth, and I could put like have half of it, put the other half in the console, like in me, in me, uh, in the car, like hide it in the car somewhere, and I'd forget about it and go two weeks later, I'd go, oh shit, I got that bit of opium there, you know, because I was smoking it at the time, right? Yeah, burning it, and yeah, and I could you know, have it again two weeks later, and had it really under control, but. Sooner or later, you know, it um, quite easily gets control of you again, you know. I tried to catch up with Ben after this first interview, but it didn't work out. He didn't have a phone, and with no other way of contacting him, I just headed down to his intersection, hoping to see him. Some of those times he was there, but he seemed less interested in speaking with me. In hindsight... I wonder if he felt awkward about revealing himself to me, which is totally understandable. I mean, I'm always amazed that people share their stories with me, especially ones that are hard to tell and difficult to hear. When people can see you clearly, it can leave you feeling exposed and vulnerable. One time, when I went down to his intersection, Ben said he didn't want to be interviewed that day because things weren't going well for him. He muttered something about being homeless and walked away. I got the sense that he felt ashamed of his predicament and he didn't want me to see his current reality. He had let me see a bit of what was behind his veneer, but he still wanted some of it to be smudged and blurry. Yeah, good on you. Yeah, nice one. Thanks, dude. When I arrive at Mick's house in the suburbs, his blinds are drawn and I'm unsure if I'm in the right place. But I find him lying on his couch in front of the biggest television I have ever seen. How, how big is this one? This is 75. I was looking for an 80. But 80s were about nine grand, and I just couldn't justify spending nine grand on a TV. So how much is that? Isn't that like fucking four? That's a lot of money for a TV, though. It's only money. What's money worth? Well, no, for sure. But, I mean, you can still, you can still acknowledge that, you know... Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe four grand is a lot of money for a TV, but... Yeah. Still. Mick shares his home with his partner and her son. It's a relatively new relationship, and they started living together early in the piece. I don't think I've ever been loved before. Like, really? I don't. I don't. Even though I've had such a long-term history of being Mr. Codependent. So that movement, that's codependent. Because I love being codependent. That's my fucking, that's the way I live. That's how I survive. But you know what I mean? Like, like the impact you say it has on your work. If you do 18-hour days for a you know, three weeks. You've done that before? Seven days a week, 
18 hour days or 14 hour days, just crazy hours, leave at 5.30 in the morning, get home at like 8 every night. And, and a physical job too, even though I understand typing stuff can be a bit head fucked, but doing that physically and then you come home, do you want to cook your own tea? Fuck no. So I work really well codependently. Michael got married when he was in his early 20s, but it didn't work out. He cheated on her. Even telling people it was a little bit shitty because you feel like, oh, I'm getting judged, but then you know what? Fuck it, who cares? He means fuck those people judging him, not fuck the fact that he did it. He does feel a bit of shame over it, but he's quite open about it, maybe because he sees life as a series of experiences we should embrace, not because we're proud of them, but because they're a part of us and we can try to learn from them. Or maybe that's completely wrong and I'm just projecting. At the same time his marriage was breaking down, he started a relationship with the other woman. That lasted for a decade until she cheated on him. I know, the irony of it, all right? But it really hurt my ego. Really, really bruised it. Not to the point where I was angry, I wanted to fight everyone or whatever, but I just sort of locked myself in my house for a few days and had a really good cry. After that moment, I had my cry. When I finally got it out, I never had anxiety until the last, you know, six months. How much of an impact is that on your day-to-day? In the last six months? Brutal. Really? You ever had a panic attack before? I haven't, no. Oh. So you understand what it is, though? It's like this, uh, the fucking the rush. The it's like it just goes to a head. It's like now's the moment that you fucking, you know. So I was suffering about twenty a day, twenty to thirty a day. Like, and, and, and what would happen? What, what would be happening to your body? And... I think I stop stop breathing. I get a lot of pressure on my chest, and then my breathing goes kind of weird. And then I have a moment where I'm just like, I come to a, I just fake it, just fake through it. I probably should have gone to a doc. And help speed it up. But I, you know, I went through it back in 2013 as well. Pretty severe. And um, I got through that. But I feel like it's shame. Because sometimes if I have a panic attack. Or it's always in the same kind of realm. Like it's always in a public situation. Or someone looking at me. I get a bit. And if I cover my face. It, whether it be even with a blanket like that. I feel better straight away. So there must be some kind of like. I feel exposed or shameful. You know, I've done some things in the past, like adultery, which is, sounds terrible. I had an affair. <laughs> Big shit. <laughs> but I'm doing a lot of, like, I just play YouTube videos now at night. There's, like, hypnosis for anxiety or fear, installing confidence, all them kind of things. And they seem to really... It feels like my subconscious and my conscious is not aligned. You know, it's just trying to make them both sync up again. Mm. And maybe talking to someone would be good, but at the same time, I'm a dude from the 80s. Grew up in a very masculine world. <laughs> Actually, to be honest, I'm not scared of that. Mm. But, you know, it's just time. Mm. I'd rather just sleep on the couch. But maybe I have something with a little bit of depression. You know? like maybe that's what it is. When I spoke to Mick, his veneer was mostly all swagger and bravado. On the roof of a skyscraper or strutting through the streets of Melbourne, he carries himself with a great confidence. But in his house with the blinds drawn, more and more was revealed. I think there is a tendency for the human mind to judge people based on surface characteristics. I'm not trying to throw a misanthropic observation out there. It's just a thing most of us do because it's easier on our fallible human brains. We look for patterns and symbols that can fill in the gaps in the information we want, but that our brains can't be stuffed gathering. We might meet a guy in his high-rise office with a BB King replica guitar in the corner, 
and make assumptions about how lucky he is or how easy he's had it. Or we might be at the traffic lights and see a weathered young guy in tattered clothes washing windows and make a judgment about his character. I'm not going to hold it against you if you do things like that, but it's all mostly bullshit. It seems like quite an obvious and apparent statement to make that people are multifaceted, that they're not their occupation or their clothes or where they sleep. But I think too many judge others based on those surface characteristics, and Ben and Michael might be two good examples of why that's a mistake. For they, like all of us, have more going on than what's on the surface, that surface our human brains can't be bothered scratching. And to close on one final and hammy window metaphor, people, like glass, can be clean and clear or smudged with grime and dirt but they're all capable of revealing extraordinary things, but also capable of cracking. All right, you got any, any more leading questions? No. Oh, fuck yeah. Thank you to Michael and Ben for their time and willingness to be a part of this story. Thanks also to Lucas, Paul, Shane, Sarah, and the other Ben, as well as the Human Ordinary team for their awesome help with getting this over the line. Original music in this story was by Kent Sutherland. Human Ordinary is produced in Melbourne and Sydney by Mick Cavazzini, Cinnamon Napard, May Jasper and me, Sam Loy. Special thanks to Claire Tonti at Planet Broadcasting and Guy Scott Wilson at Acast. Our artwork is by Fergal Quigley and our theme music is by The Contortionist's Handbook. Score a free t-shirt, bonus content and ad-free episodes by subscribing to Human Ordinary at possible.com. For more info on the show, head to the website or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Anyway, thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. 